This is what it says. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come to you a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, Here, you sit in a good place. You say to the poor man, uh, Stand over there or sit here on the ground. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you are really, I'm sorry, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Oh, my. This is going to be a good word today. Let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us. What's his heart in this word today? Lord, I commit this word to you this morning. I thank you, Lord, that your, your word, it is light, it's life, it's instruction, it's correction where we need it. And, Lord, I ask that today your word would accomplish all that you desire it to today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come now to breathe upon this word and upon our hearts. Come on, church, if you have the liberty, I want you to pray with your spirit. I want you to welcome the Lord and his anointing to come now. God, I ask for a great anointing to be released all across this room, that you would give us eyes to see, ears that hear a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking. I pray, Jesus, that upon my life there would be an anointing, even as you were anointed to preach good news, Lord, to those who need it. Lord, I ask for an anointing to preach your word with authority as I ought to. I resist the hand of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Give us liberty today, Lord, in receiving all that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody say, amen. You may be seated. A very powerful passage today. Um, and honestly, I mean, you could read through this passage. You could take it at face value, and it'll minister to you, man. I mean, it'll bless you. It'll encourage you. But I want to highlight some things in here that you uh, maybe didn't see. Uh, personally, when I read the Bible, I don't know. It's the preacher in me. I'm always looking for points. What is the three-point message in this? And I, and I found something. I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading through the passage, but the Bible actually talks about three judges in this text. I'm not talking about judging a weightlifting competition like we were hearing about earlier. That's all fine and good. But, but there is a form of judgment that uh, we need to avoid. In fact, I'll give you the points from the beginning, and then you can fill in the blanks as you take notes. You guys take notes, by the way? Oh, you should if you don't. Bring your notebooks. Take notes in your phone. I do put it in the Bible app as well, and you can access all of that. But the three judges that we see, we see in verse 4, it talks about an evil judge. Everyone say evil judge. Do you want evil judges in your life? 
No, okay, I'll just make sure you're paying attention. Uh, Verse 6, it talks about worldly judges, where you're drug into courts and you are judged. There are worldly judges, and and we're going to talk about that. In verse 8 and 9, now this is interesting, it talks about a holy judge. A holy judge. It talks about how we can violate the law of God and how God will uh, bring condemnation if we do that. Or we'll see as well he can bring a blessing. But God is a holy judge. Everyone say holy. Do you know what holy is? Holy. I, I need you to understand. This is the premise of everything that I'm sharing today. Holy The very word holy, there's angels around the throne that even in this very moment, they are declaring over God Almighty, you are holy. You see it in in the Old Testament. You see it all the way in the book of Revelation. I mean, thousands of years in the past, thousands of years in the future, and for all eternity, there will be angels and elders, and one day we'll be there. We will declare the holiness of God. Holy literally means higher than. A cut above, set above, or set apart. It means greater than. Everybody say greater than. You say greater than what? Uh, Greater than everything. I mean, you think about power. I don't know what you think when you think power. Uh, My family and I, we've all been working out. We'll go pray in the morning, and then we go to the gym. We work out our our spirit man, and then we go work out our our bodies, okay? And uh, and we were talking with the owner of the gym, and he was talking about a guy. He was actually at our our men's conference, and he broke the record. We had a competition between all of our extensions uh, for bench press, 225, the most amount that we could do. And we had this guy. How many did he do, Gabriel? Like 68, 68. I mean, it was insane. And, uh, and the, the, the owner of the gym was just telling us that that guy just broke 500 pounds on bench press. That's power, friend. That's power. Or, or, or maybe you think, I don't know if you've ever just sat and watched pounding waves come against the rock or the uh, rocks or the beach. And, uh, and man, you just, anybody ever get pounded by waves? Oh, that's power. That's power that will scare you, friend. There is power. Maybe, uh, I mean, the, maybe the greatest form of power that I can consider on the earth, man, you see like a nuclear bomb go off, and you just see it level buildings. And, uh, and uh, I mean, that's power. That's power. Whatever your picture of power is, God is holy. He has greater power than anything that you can imagine. You can think about what is good, and you think like, you know, I look at a guy like Dave Caravu standing back there. I mean, Dave's a good guy. Dave's a good guy. I, I was walking uh, this property, and you know, it's funny. Levon, uh, is Levon in here? Oh, he's over here. You know, Levon, he greets me when I'm, when I'm walking on the property, and then he drives by, and he waves at me. Hey, pastor, he shakes my hand. And I just, I had the thought as I was walking uh, by Levon earlier today. I'm like, man, that's a good guy. He's a good guy. But listen, as good as Dave is, as good as Levon, as good as you might be, or, you know, Mr. Rogers or Mother Teresa or whoever you consider, like, they're good, they're good. God, God is holy. 
He is good on a level you cannot even comprehend the best example you could have in this life. He is greater than. Whatever your picture of authority is, God is greater than. Whatever your picture of wealth or riches is, He is greater than. Wisdom or creativity, God is greater. You name it, God is holy. Everybody say holy. Now, here's where this is so important for us to understand. Do you realize, in the very definition of holy, it means that God is unlike me and you. This will mess some people up because you got to realize God doesn't think the way that we think. God is on a level beyond anything that you and I could ever do. In fact, in Psalm 50, it's one of the strongest rebukes you'll ever see in Scripture. And the problem is you've got all these guys who are talking bad about individuals. They're sleeping around. They're tearing other people down. They're greedy. And and they think that God's okay with this. But the Lord flat out says in Psalm 50, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. And he rebukes these people. We can have opinions about what's good or not, about what what God may feel about, you know, should this be legal or should it not? But at the end of the day, friend, what does God say? My opinion matters very little. What does God say? God is not like you. And friend, sometimes that's a good thing. I don't know what kind of person you were before you came to Jesus, but I know I am not the kind of person that I would have ever chosen to be a pastor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever think about what your life was before you came to Jesus and you're like, Lord, thanks for not being like me because I wouldn't have chosen that guy. I wouldn't have chosen her to do what I'm doing today. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God's not like us. And here's the question of the day. The question of the day that we're going to repeat over and over again. What does God say? What does God say? I want you to ask your neighbor, what does God say? I want you to remember this. This is very important. This is a question for our hearts. It's a question for what does God say? And we lead in verse 1, James chapter 2. It says, my brethren, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Partiality is broken down. It means favoritism, prejudice, or snobbery. You know anybody snobby? Don't don't say a name. Don't look at somebody right now. Don't. Hold the faith of our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, with favoritism, with prejudice, or with snobbery. Do you understand that all of us who have been born again, has anybody been born again in the house today? Prayerfully, all of us. Do you realize 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that you have what the Bible calls a treasure in earthen vessels? It's the knowledge of the glory of God. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. Every one of us has a treasure. God chose broken, rejected, sinful people and says, I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm going to save you. I'm going to reveal my glory to you. And by faith, we have received this amazing treasure. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. So how dare we 
who have received such a great treasure ever look at anybody and say, they're not worthy. They're not good enough to receive what I have received. Favoritism, prejudice, snobbery. Here's what happens. Do you know uh, the first judge? What was the first judge? I gave you the points already. What was it? Do you know who the Bible calls the evil judge in this text? Us. When we have prejudices, when we play favorites, when we have snobbery towards individuals, we think you're not worthy of receiving something. Do you realize the Bible calls you an evil judge? This is a scary thing, friend. This is what happens if there should come into your assembly, verse 2, someone with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes. Here, sit in a good place. You say to the poor man, uh, just go stand in the back somewhere. Uh, you know, leave the nice seat for somebody else. You sit on the floor over here. You have shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Everybody say evil. This is, this is a bad deal. This is a strong word, friend. I don't want any evil judges in our church. I don't want any evil judges in, in, in our assembly. You know, the word evil is the Greek word poneros. It means degenerate, calamitous, ill, diseased, oh my goodness, morally derelict, malice, guilty. It literally translates at times to the devil. That's what it is, evil. And just so you know, uh, evil is not. Strong's Concordance really builds on this word. And it wants us to understand that, that evil is not just, I sinned. We all sin. We all fall short. It doesn't make you evil, especially if the Lord has called you righteous. Iniquity is when we are living in repeated, continual sin. Now sin has become a habit, but you're still not evil according to scripture. The Bible says what evil is, it gets into your very nature. It's the core of who you are. Evil is an identity. It's not just, I I messed up here. I said something. I did something. I should. No, evil goes to the core of who a person is. And so think about this. Oh, church, we need to check our hearts in this. If we show partiality favoritism, prejudice, the Bible says it is evil. It's not just sin. It's not just, hey, work on this a little bit, friend. No, it is evil. I saw this last week. I'm sure many of us saw. They, they, there's been a number of police officers that are on trial because there was another young black man who was beaten to death, and they just put out the video this last week. I didn't watch the video. But even as they were releasing that, they were saying, please, please be peaceful. If there's a protest, if there's something, please be peaceful in these things. In a similar kind of sense, I saw that there were two shootings in California this last week. Strictest gun laws, restrictions didn't matter. There were multiple mass shootings that happened in California. And I want you to think about this because if your heart immediately goes to all cops are fill in the blank. All white people are fill in the blank. All black people are fill in the blank. All Republicans are like this. All Democrats. Friend, 
If you cannot separate an individual from a group or a body, you're acting like the devil. It is evil, the Bible says. And we, oh my goodness, we don't want to share the heart of Satan. We need to look beyond the exterior and see to the heart of an individual. Oh my goodness. Friend, you, you, somebody who has the appearance of wealth or someone who has uh, uh, the appearance of poverty, do you give place or preference to one over the other? Stop it. Stop it. Think about where you were when you came to Jesus. Think about how broken you were when you came to Jesus. I'll never forget the day we were here on this island. We hadn't yet moved here, and we were looking for the owner of the King Kamehameha Mall. And somebody had told us, the guy's actually in town right now. Go over there. And so we went over to the mall. And we are standing in the center hallway right next to what's now one of our kids' areas. And out comes this man, Korean man, not great English. He's dirty. He's smelly. He's covered in sawdust. He's wearing a cheap Walmart T-shirt. And I'm glad that I was nice to the guy because I found out that he was the multimillionaire who owned that property and about a dozen other properties running down Ali'i, owns properties in Texas, owns property all across Korea, and is a man of God. And I'm sure glad that this man who had the appearance of poverty, I was not prejudiced towards. I gave him place. I treated him with respect and then found out, ooh, this is the owner. You guys realize, I mean, there's people, they'll buy a nice house in a nice neighborhood, but they're so broke paying for it, they can't even fill it with nothing. The appearance of wealth, but they're in poverty. And you'll meet guys like this who have the appearance of poverty, but, man, they're stinking rich. Don't judge by the outward. Don't be prejudiced in this thing. God does not think the way that we do. I had another, uh, another thing that, man, just, just kind of like took me aback. You just imagine. Somebody drives up, and they, they pull up next to you. They're driving an old beat-up work truck. They're covered in sawdust, man. They're dirty, and they're like, man, I just finished framing a house. I just finished this manual labor. I, I framed up this house. I, what do you think about that person? Do you realize that's what Jesus was? Do you think differently if someone comes up in a business suit, they got their Rolex watch, versus someone who's working a, a blue-collar manual labor job? I think Jesus did this kind of stuff on purpose. He did use people who were kings and wealthy and, and royalty. He absolutely did use political leaders and all of that. But the fact that he came in the appearance of what many of us would consider lowly, humble, friend, shake off. Shake off prejudice. Shake off prejudice. Don't get judgmental towards people who appear rich. By the way, this does go both ways. Give place. Give preference to everybody. I pray it every time we gather together. Lord, give me your heart for people. How do you see people, Jesus? Let me see them through your eyes because I'm telling you, friend, Jesus looked at all these 12 disciples who were all rejects and outcasts, and he saw apostles. 
and prophets and writers of holy scripture and miracle workers and devil drivers and and on and on. And, And friend, you realize, like, we have people like that that are in our church right now. Well, I got kicked out of my last church. Nobody wanted me. Friend, there's treasures. And we need to begin to make it a part of our vocabulary. Lord, what do you say about this person? God, what are you saying about this individual? What is God saying? Don't be an evil judge. Hallelujah. Next, you'll see that God, verse 5, has chosen um, the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. This is one of my favorite passages. Oh, don't you just love the way God is? Watch this. Remember, brothers and sisters, few of you were wise in the world's eyes, wealthy or powerful when God called you. Few were like that. Instead, he chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to to bring them to nothing, uh, what the world considers important as a result. No one can ever boast in the presence of God. Oh, I just love it. I mean, just just chew on that verse a little bit. I don't know if any of you came to Jesus and you were already wise, powerful, or wealthy. And if you are, I thank God that you came to Jesus. Use those things to glorify God. But I would suspect if the Bible is true, a whole lot more of us came to Jesus when we were unwise, when we were not powerful or influential, we were not wealthy, and God, when you look at lives today, oh, only God can get glory for where I am today. Only God can get glory for what has happened in my life. I used to have nothing. I was in bondage, in and out of jail, but look at what God has done in and through me today. Oh, my goodness. I hope you get fired up about this because this is the kind of stuff that, you know, man, get on board with what the Lord is doing. This is the kind of stuff that he's doing. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> now, the Bible, this is interesting. I just, maybe you didn't see this as we were reading this text. Because I said that the, second, the first judge, what was the first judge? The evil judge. We can be that. We're not going to be that in Jesus' name, right? We're going to shake off. We're going to repent of prejudices that we have, whether it be towards a people group, a denomination, a political party, a a race. uh, We're repenting of that. Amen? Hallelujah. If not, go away. All right. Um, So uh, the second is the worldly judge. Everybody say worldly judge. Now, Where we see this is in verse 6 and 7. It says, but you have dishonored uh, poor men, and the rich oppress you and drag you into courts. They blaspheme the noble name by which you are called. Now, I want you to understand, this is not a condemnation of everybody who has money. But the picture here is, you saw someone who had the appearance of wealth, and so you elevated them just because they looked wealthy. And they're blaspheming. They're not even saved. And these guys give you headaches. You see, when we assume the role of an evil judge, the Bible says that what you sow, that you will also reap. 
And these who have taken a position of prejudice, I'm going to elevate you because of your external without consideration for what's in your heart. What ends up happening is those who have judged unrighteously, they get drugged before judges. You see that? You see that? The Bible, see, the Bible, just hear me on this. The Bible doesn't tell us throw out discernment. Jesus says you will judge by their fruit. So it's not saying don't pay attention to character. Don't, you know, just trust your kids with anybody, you know, without any, any sense of discernment. That's not what the Bible's saying at all. But it's like I see the fruit of your life. The fruit is bad, so I'm going to make a judgment call. I see the fruit of your life. The fruit is good, so I'm going to make a choice. And we're encouraged to do that. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, and the topic is judging. Verse 2, the way you treat others, you will be treated. And the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So the question isn't like don't have discernment or don't make judgment calls, but here's what you must consider. The way you judge other people is the way you're going to be judged. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, if you're merciful, you will be shown mercy. Jesus said if you forgive others in Matthew 6, then you yourselves will be forgiven. James 2, 12 says if you do not show mercy, God will not show you mercy. And on and on, you see this idea, the way you treat others is the way you will be treated. Friend, I don't want you to be judged. I don't want you to be judged. So don't judge other people. Be kind. Be generous. I'm telling my staff all the time, okay, you're going to meet with this guy and maybe they need a slap. That's fine. But be gracious. Be kind. Be full of mercy because somebody was like that to you, weren't they? Friend, I want you to think about how good Jesus has been to you. And we need to treat other people that same way. Don't be quick to just smash people, okay? Or God's going to smash you. Hallelujah. All right. And the last one is the holy judge. Everybody say holy judge. Now, verse 8 says that if you fulfill the royal law. Uh, Another translation says supreme. This is like the law of laws. In fact, Jesus said uh, when somebody asked him, what's the greatest law in scripture? He said, well, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor like you love yourself. James calls it the supreme law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, my goodness. Love your neighbor. Jesus affirms this. In fact, you see it. It's in Leviticus. It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Matthew. It's in Romans over and over again. Love other people the way you love yourselves. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Friend, we all love ourselves. I know you do. Now, somebody's here, they're depressed, and they're like, well, I don't really love myself. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. You eat every day. You feed yourself. You entertain yourself. And half the reason people get stuck in depression is because they're so concerned about their feelings and what's going on in my heart. They're not serving anybody else. They become so consumed by this thing. They're, oh, that's a different sermon. It's important, though, friend. You love yourself. 
We're all good at loving ourselves. We need to keep that in check. You want to know the greatest way? In fact, I'll never forget, there was a lady who called me one time. Uh, this was early, first year I was in ministry, and she called me. She says, Pastor, I'm suicidal. I'm gripped with depression. I thought about taking my own life. And I called my spiritual father, Steve Hill, who was still alive at the time, and he and his wife, uh, I just told him, like, man, I'm new to this thing. I was 21 years old, senior pastor. And I'm like, I've never had anybody come to me with this. I don't know what to do. And, uh, and so they, this is what they said. They said, is she serving anywhere? I'm like, what? Is she serving anywhere? And I'm like, hang on a second. You heard me, right? She's depressed and suicidal. And they said, yeah, she's become so introverted. What needs to happen, put her in a position where she starts caring for the needs of somebody else. And all of a sudden, she's going to realize God, God's going to pour into her what she pours into other people. The focus is going to be off of her and her problems and all of this. What was it? How do you keep, how do you keep this self-love in check, friend? Love other people. Love other people. I'm not saying you need to hate on yourself. I'm not saying we need to, you know, woe is me. I'm nothing. I'm a worm. I'm going to go eat dirt. You know, I'm not saying that. But you need to love other people. Serve other people. Oh, my goodness. People that irritate you. I need to move on. I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble. I can already tell, so. I will preach the word. I'm getting into my own opinions now, so I need to just be careful. Um, so this is why we pray. And I, and I know I haven't talked much about life groups, but worship team, would you come? I'm, I'm going to close. We're going to welcome our life groups, and we're going to pray for them in a moment. But worship team, if you'd come and, and just join me up here. Um, this is what I want our church to look like. A place where we shake off prejudices and favoritism and we give place to everybody. I shared with our life group leaders yesterday, when I got saved, I mean, I, I, was, I was in and out of jail, friend, multiple times in and out of jail, arrested, DUI, drugs, and I mean, vandalism, all kinds of foolishness. And I'll never forget, I was getting right with God and I went to a college and career event. I was a young adult at this time. I just graduated high school. Actually, that's not true. I got expelled from high school, but I was out of high school. Your pastor's got a story. I'm just telling you, okay? And I I went to a young adult event, and I remember I sat down at a table, and there was a, a girl who was sitting there who's just like, Who's he? Why is he sitting here? Is he even in? And he just started running her mouth. And I'm like within earshot of this. And boy, I, I was not very saved yet. And the words that came out of my mouth following that, I cannot, I can't say today. But I just, I was not happy. And I, I remember I left that event and I was ready to leave the church. I was ready to just, man, forget this. Jesus, thank you for what you've done in my life. Because I had committed my life to the Lord and I was beginning to walk in freedom. But that experience right there, a judgmental, an evil judge, about drove me away from the church and I didn't want to be a part. But there was a young couple, Al and Tammy McCarran. Sometimes they watch online. Al and Tammy McCarran invited me into their home. They led a Bible study, 
and I became a part of their small group in their house. They allowed me to come in even though I did not have my act together. I committed my life to the Lord, but I was still working some things out. I came in there smelling like cigarettes. I came in there just, I mean, I, I, had a, I was working through it, man. And they gave me place. They prayed with me. Yes, they held me accountable. They encouraged me, man, you can live righteously. My first opportunities to teach the word were in that small group. My first opportunities to serve were because of that small group. Later on down the road, I end up going to Bible college. The Lord is touching me, wrecking me. I mean, just transforming my life. Eventually, I begin to pastor. And that man became the first elder that I installed in my church. Him and his wife served diligently in that place. And today, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. They discipled me, and eventually I began to disciple them. It was the wildest thing. It's because of life groups, small groups. I'm a believer in this. Why? Because it's an amazing opportunity for us to be able to look at one another and say, Friend, I know you're going through some junk. And I know outwardly, man, you might not have it all together, but I see treasure in you. I see a call of God on your life. I see an anointing that God desires to draw out of you. You understand, what happens here on Sunday morning, God can touch you and impart vision and an anointing to your life, and that's all, that's all wonderful. But discipleship happens when we get together in smaller groups. We encourage one another. You have people that are close enough to you to say, man, your breath stinks. Do you have people close enough to you like that? Yeah, man, that attitude, you need to work on that thing. You have people close enough to say, listen, God has so much more for you than what you're walking in right now. I, have, I still have people like that in my life. And I had people in my life when I came to Jesus. I would not be in the church today if it had not been for small groups. So I'm going to ask you all, get in a life group. Get in a small group. Get around people who are going after God. 